Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Christian Lewis. It's a Brother, Brother podcast. Today, we're asking, what are you listening to? You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now let's talk Snail Mail, Flasher, Kanye West, Kid See Ghost, Father John Misty, and we'll remember the late, great Anthony Bourdain. which today is a Brother Brother podcast, and uh, we are doing one of our periodic um, What Are You Listening To episodes. I realized that we haven't done one since February, and I was shocked, but there's been a lot of good stuff that's come out in the interim and wanted to uh, take a swipe at, at covering uh, some, of the, some of the stuff that's risen to the top. What are you, uh, what are you listening to, Christian? Boy, thank you for asking. Well, so I wanted to kick this off with uh, a couple of bands and, and get your thoughts as well. Um, and, and then I thought after that we could actually review some of the uh, shows I've been seeing recently. The, the Northside Festival just wrapped up here in, um, in Brooklyn. Um, and, uh, and a couple of other shows have uh, popped up on the radar, all of which I think are, are worthy of a, a little bit of a discussion. Um, but, yeah, for the, for, um, you know, our, our sort of, review of what's what's come out in the last quarter or so um i'm thinking i want to throw out a couple names uh snail mail obviously you know it's been very sort of buzzy been getting a lot of uh, a lot of attention from the media um sunflower bean and shame um to to get going uh and then i i think i i was interested in in sort of Unpacking a little bit of what's going on with uh, with Father John Misty and and uh, Father John Kanye, Father John West. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so uh, you know, I, I'll share my impressions of Snail Mail, and, and then we can you know we'll take I, it from I, there. I just I mean like I'm uh, it did should never prejudice my the way I think about these things, but it, it inevitably does. I mean, this is somebody this is somebody who's uh, very young, obviously talented and. But I mean, there's you know a full blown uh, you know big time article in New York Times. I mean, there's you know this is not just the music press drooling, but but um, you know uh, some of the bigger publications. I think there was you know some mentions in some other places. There's a, where there's a little bit of like a show me a hero quality to this. It's like you just they've they've just they've coronated her, and I think. I'm not saying it's undeserving. I'm saying I'm I'm still trying to figure out what exactly like distinguishes what it. those yeah what those things have in common, um, like what those publications have in common that they that they were they apparently looking for themselves. exactly yeah exactly that they were all looking for precisely this this sort of musical quantity. I, I I'm not sure. Maybe maybe um, it's just a. Uh, a convergence of, of uh, minds uh, trying to find the person that won't go down in a sexual abuse scandal in the next six <laughs> months that they can speak. Yes, so, so they found a, a, an 18-year-old girl. Um, but, no, I mean, that's a fairly fairly reasonable guess. Um, I, I like it as much as anything else I've, I've heard. But, all right, so let, let's not lead by detracting from the music. Um, you know, she is... It's it's a really it's a striking album. Um, her her debut album is Lush, uh, and you know I think it is emotionally mature, well beyond her her eighteen years. Um, and you know musically there is sort of a, a clear uh, uh, relationship to um, the, the sort of the, the alternative rock uh, that's come before it, but but also it isn't you know what I think could be like snipingly referred to as derivative or anything like that. Um, it's uh, just you know, in case it, you it, didn't connect the dots. Um, they've put her on tour, I believe, with Liz Fair. <laughs> exactly, um, and and you know I think that there's a, a, a sort of a common vein there for sure, and and you know she'll she'll catch a lot of um, catch a lot of. Uh, 
good good press for for the um, you know for for I think that relationship. Uh, you know, I I found I've I've only listened to it a couple of times, so I, let me just start out by saying that I'm I'm not the sort of foremost expert on this um, right now, but but I do feel that there's like a really um, sort of crystal clear like sincerity about her her lyrical delivery um, that like I I enjoy and and I think um, sort of you know contributes to the poignancy of, of the of the lyrics um, but do I think that that's like an exceptional quality that doesn't exist anywhere else I'm not sure well I mean I think it is it's difficult to you know it's like anytime you get a, a hot young novelist or a hot young filmmaker um, you know youth is certainly part of the equation um, you know, is this the first time it's ever happened? No, but we're looking at somebody, and I mean, it even you could make the, even the sports analogy where, you know, you just don't see many um, people who are this ready for prime yeah. time uh, at that at this point in their development. And um, sure, and and you know, what's interesting is that I think um, part of what surprises me about her a little bit, and part of what impresses me about her is that she has hit at a at, at the age of eighteen, like a place where. You know, I think at at a relatively close or similar age, you saw guys like Alex G or Will Toledo from Carsey Headrest. You know, similarly like mature in terms Connor of their, their. Yeah, the difference here though is like she has a significantly smaller body of work behind her, at least one that's 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 released, right? Mm-hmm. So she doesn't have just like because one EP, twenty five demo tapes out there. Which all of those guys, and you know, she she may very well like in her closet, but um, yeah, she has one EP, which incidentally, and we'll talk we'll talk about more about this later, was was released on Sister Polygon, which is the label that's run by um, Taylor Mullitz of, uh, of Flasher, right? Of Flasher and and yeah, and Priest as well. So um, there's a sort of an interesting connection there. Now, the other thing I will say uh, that that's great about Snail Mail is that she is uh, she's a huge Caps fan. Um, and I have to say, I had the opportunity to see her last Thursday, um, but unfortunately, uh, I was watching Washington D.C. win the Stanley Cup, which was the greatest fucking day of you know my sports watching life. So um, yeah, I, I do feel I say unfortunately because you know she was uh, indisposed opening for Liz Fair, um, and uh, I'm I'm sure she would rather be somewhere else. No, it's interesting, the parallels, because Jaren and I went, did a walk through Exile and Guyville the other day, and, you know, the parallels are there, the, um, you know, the sophisticated uh, wordplay, the, um, the guitar, um, well, I mean, in her case, it's much more virtuosity than, than in Liz Fair's case, but Liz Fair, I thought, was always thought was a really interesting and, and under... Um, you know, underappreciated uh, in her originality in her guitar playing, but the, in this case, it was um, you know. I mean, Liz Fair famously put these out after college, and and you know, uh, this woman's just coming out of high school, so that's uh, there's your thing. No, she's definitely like very much deserving of, of being on the radar and, and sort of one of uh, one of Matador Records, you know, um, ones to watch. Yeah, big big sort of rolls of the dice that I think uh, that I think is looking like it's paying off so
another uh, another new band that I wanted to talk about here. Um, let's see, man, we have we have a lot of S's today. Um, yeah. S's and F's. Yeah, let's well let's go to Sunflower Bean then. Um, now, this a, a, another female front of band uh, formed while they were teenagers. Um, this is sort of an indie pop trio from Brooklyn. Uh, drummer Jacob Faber. Um, guitarist and vocalist Nick Kivlin and uh, bassist vocalist Julia Cumming. Now, I have to say that um, much has been made about their youth uh, and their like relatively you know new break to the scene. Um, a very large uh, uh, sort of music distro list that that we are on um, is uh, very hot on these guys. Um, I and you know a lot. They've been discussed pretty frequently in the last six months. From my perspective, just just because of where I live, um, I feel like these guys have been around for years. I do too. Um, it's we- it's weird. Even I do. Um, I, I mean, feel like I, I started hearing about them like three, four years ago. Exactly, and part of it was um, they were just like unrelenting road warriors. I mean, they they played along with like another band, Hey Baby. Um, they, I mean, they played. Uh, something upwards of, of like a hundred shows in 2014 or 15. Um, you know, 75 of which were in New York. I mean, they were literally playing like Sunnyvale and and Alphaville almost. You know, uh, almost every week it seemed. It was unbelievable. They're um, they're they're on a pretty big bill at the moment, isn't that right? Yeah, it is. And you know, I think that that who who are they playing with? I forget. Um, do you remember? Oh, oh, as an opener? No, I don't. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll take a look, but uh, keep going. Sorry. Um, no, I, I. But they, uh, you know, I think I think that this is this is really like the, um, the the like Beatles and Hamburg, um, <laughs> you know, promise, right? That that like if you if you just do the really hard backbreaking work of playing over and over and over again, um, you know, you are you, it's guaranteed to pay off, and I, I really think that like. You know, young bands take note. Um, yes, there are the people who like who just sort of seem to make it and arrive, um, and and that's great. You know, there will be the the I, I don't know how many shows Snail Mail's played, but but it's very possible that it isn't as many as, as Sunflower Bean. Um, I, it, but it, but there's there's something about that chemistry that like when you see this band, you they know each other inside and out. Um, you know they can break up any song and and play it uh, you know out of order. They don't. They can toy with their set list. They can and and when you have that level of comfort with the actual performance of your music, it really allows you to like step outside of the actual playing and and become a full a fully fledged like entertainer Perform, and performer. Yeah. yeah, and and you start to engage with the audience in different ways. It just it it, it ups the game so much. So I, I really do think that they deserve a lot of credit for um, for for the hustle. Sorry, the bus out um, concert I was thinking of was, is uh, they were opening for Interpol and the Kills at Hollywood Bowl. Oh, that's right. Oh, and I'm impressive. sure they'll. Yeah, they may well do that for. Um, uh, I wonder Forest if they Hills. do a Forest Hills version of that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so the, anyway, there uh, you know there's a real sort of sweetness and to the to the pop melodies. Um, it's sort of bass driven or bass forward so like think uh you know the, the classic comparison here is going to be like new order galaxy you know. 500 yeah um bass but leads and it is cool it's it's a really good sound and um it's it's very polished and compared to like the first few sort of demos and songs that were released to like the deli uh that that you know mm-hmm. um uh, which I'd heard and sort of thought, I'm uh, not really sure what I get the, you know, <laughs> I'm not really sure I understand what the fuss is about. Um, seeing them live, you know, certainly changed my opinion, and and I'm I wish these guys all the success uh, in, in the world. So.
next up, next up is a is a one that I will you know defer to you because it, um, you know, it not only is a band that you really like, but it's also an emotion that you are uh, highly familiar with, and that's shame. Yes, um, thank you <laughs> for, for that wonderful introduction. Um, I remember the, I remember hearing about these guys. I mean, I started listening to this album I think in January, or at least in advance. Uh, um, some of the songs. Uh, when did, did the full album take a little longer to come out, or is that... Um... It, it did. Um, I, I think uh, Songs of Praise, which is their debut album, um, it arrived in early eight, uh, 2018, um, but the the real takeoff uh, in the U.S. for them was, was um, South by Southwest, and they just ripped that place to shreds. <laughs> like, this is a five-person... British. Yeah. Five-person okay. British, fucking bratty as hell. Um, you know, they, they show up, the lead singer, shirtless, wearing a cowboy hat, uh, you know, struts to the front of the, st- for front of the room um, to get the show started, uh, at which point, you know, the, the guitarist starts, the bassist starts, the drummer starts, and they can't find their other guitarist. <laughs> Who's like, you know, who's off somewhere shotgunning beers before he has to get on stage. So, you know, he gets paged by, oi, fucker, get on stage, you know. So he comes charging up the stairs. And anyway, um, it, this is all like setting the scene to something that I'm thinking, oh, man, this is going to be a fun show. And sure enough, uh, you know, they, they absolutely play the lights out. Um, this was at Market Hotel. Uh, it was the final show after their South by run and then they did a little West Coast run and this was their last show before heading back over to the UK um, I don't think any of them had slept uh, in about three and a half weeks um, but they were uh, you know let's say surviving on the back of performance enhancing um, <laughs> substances uh, and you know absolutely um, just good sort of like sloppy in a in a in a decide in like a stylistically you know chosen way um but but you know very very much sort of drilled and and a good band and and you know sounded tight sounded great sounded tight um and just the antics of uh uh of their front man charlie steen um that's that's steen with a t uh are you know absolutely out of this world so the the big the, the sort of pedigree for these guys is that they came up um, in 2000. I mean, so they're like 18, 19 now, uh, which should scare you. Um, and they actually played with Snail Mail now that I'm thinking about oh, it really? at South by Southwest. And we're actually very friendly with her, probably because they've talked about whatever 18 year olds talk about um, where to buy cigarettes. Uh, yeah. Um, but they formed when they were still in like early high school. Um, and then a family connection of theirs uh, flipped them onto this place, the Queen's Head, uh, specifically the Queen's Head in Brixton, um, which is a sort of gritty, shitty pub uh, where Fat White Family got their start. I was going to so, say, there's a, there's a major Fat White Family comparison here. It's sort of elements of the Libertines, elements of Fat White Family, and elements of Arctic Monkeys, um, you know, swimming in the same pool. But I, I do think, you know, I think the you know music far outshines the Fat White Family. The antics absolutely. are are um, you know they have a little more in common with the with the um, attitude. Um, yeah, but in a way swagger. that won't get them banned from clubs over and over again, like Fat White Family has been. So yeah, um, for public indecency laws. Um, no, these guys have like, they, you know, they were. 15 saw like my my vision of this is that they were 15 saw fat white family and thought holy shit that's the coolest thing i can't believe these guys are doing this um if for those of you who don't know um well fat white family's sort of gimmick if you will is that their their lead singer plays buck ass naked (laughs) yeah oh yeah and they're just generally disgusting um in every single way uh but but yeah sort of a gg allen happy mondays hybrid yeah, like a sort of more, you know, pedophilia-laden G.G. Yeah. Allen. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> um, so I think that they were – and part of it is, you know, it's just, look, what, what, really, what, what truly shocks anybody anymore in the age of the internet? And the answer is seeing, seeing Fat White Family shocked me. Um, and I, I thought I was above that or 
beyond that or below that or whatever. Um, but you know, I think these kids probably had the same reaction and they thought, man, let's be better than this. Cause that's going to be important, but also <laughs> and, let's incorporate this. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. But like, but let's incorporate this attitude, this real like awesome punk, um, brattiness to, to our shows and, and just, and you know, make them alive. And, and they've done that, uh, beautifully. So, want to catch a couple more you know a couple albums and then we'll we'll take a quick break but i did have to ask i mean it just seems like this seemed uh too too much of a coincidence but um every album this year seems to be seven songs in 30 minutes give or take you know on either side of that but it, it seems to be the um you know the sort of current trend uh, or you know at least a coincidence that that keeps you know uh, proliferating um but in among them is uh Father John Misty's God's Favorite Customer, which um, I find disappointing in a very heartening way, which is that I had disliked his last two albums so deeply and, and really just begun to like dislike him after having really kind of liked Fear Fun, which is his, uh, his album three albums ago, um, that I had given up and I had started, you know, uh, turning disliking him into my own uh, version of art. And uh, then along comes God's favorite customer, and he puts away all of the things that made me really dislike the last two albums, of sort of uh, indulging every whim, becoming overly wordy, and forgetting that there are songs to be sung, and going back to writing and performing really good 70s AM tunes that sound like they just fell out of Laurel Canyon. So the one funny thing to me is that, so still, my favorite song by him, probably, if I had to pick one, is Real Love Baby. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not on appear, album. didn't appear on any of his albums, but it did come out around the time that he was making his worst driveling shit um, <laughs> that, you know, people were just eating up. I, I just don't understand it. It's it, like, it kind of reminds me of, I mean, and this is a long way to go for an analogy, but it kind of reminds me of when... Rattle and Hum came out. Uh, U2's overblown, <laughs> bloated Go homage on. to the blues where they, you know, and, and I do think it's funny, you know, Bono later admitted, he goes, we were trying to introduce America to the blues. He's like, <laughs> and we're not, you know, it's a, you know in retrospect. It's a, it's a, Ireland, yeah. yeah. Um, and then right at the, on the heels of that, they came out with Desire, which is one of their most ripping songs they ever did. Maybe, you know, their, their you know, An their best rock, you know, short rock song and I was like wow they still do have the potential to make good music it's just that they got so you know fat with their own you know uh, fanciness that it, it, it disappeared from sight and I feel the same way about Father John Misty I mean Fear Fun had some missteps it has some songs that I could take or leave but I was thinking okay well if his instinct is to follow the best version of this we're in good luck. We're in good shape. And then I Love You, Honey Bear, and um, Pure Comedy came out, and they were both these talky, like Leonard Cohen, annoying type of shit. Yeah, it, which like, look, I don't, I'm, you know, no offense to Leonard Cohen, he's a great songwriter and all that, but like, I don't. It's just like it's sort of just not really 
like songy enough. See, I don't you know? think I, I think Larry Cohen is well above that. That not line. hallelujah. But I mean, everything else. It's just like talking and kind of. Yeah, but I, but I think my problem with Father John Misty was that, like, you know, he was trying to cram, you know, thirty minutes of cleverness into a five minute song, and it just, you know, they all felt like they were soggy. Uh, by the end of it, it was like, could you just put put it away? Um, and uh, in this case, he's gone. Like I said, he's gone back to. It's almost, um, you know, like, like you and I both said the comp to me here is is really Harry Nielsen, a guy who's got a, a phenomenal instrument. I mean, um, Josh Tillman has a really great singing voice and is a really good musician. And John, Harry Nielsen was the same way, but Harry Nielsen couldn't stop following every whim and you know having a chorus of of sixty. Um, you know, senior citizens singing I'd rather be dead than wet my bed at the same time he's capable of, of putting out Without You or Everybody's Talking At Me or Driving Along or Nielsen Schmielsen for, you know, a great record that he, he it's almost like he didn't his 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 talent was, was big enough that he wanted to fuck with it just so people didn't think he was trying Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is a, a a good comparison to be made here, and you know when when you referred to his instru- a, a good enough instrument and and said it's his voice. I mean, I think for me the, the the other the other instrument I think here is just their their songwriting ability. When they're on, they're on. They're both they can both be incredibly funny and self effacing, um, but it's kind of like I, you know a, a, another way of thinking about this is like. Um, Oh, he just got promoted at the New Yorker, and now he has like less editorial accountability, mm-hmm. um, and so his articles become you know two hundred and fifty percent longer. Uh, when in point of fact, they shouldn't be. Yeah, when when, <laughs> because when part of what makes people point, good when, is having a good fucking editor. Yeah, um, and like you know he he sort of lost that, but I I will say that I um uh. Disappointing Diamonds or the Rarest of Them All was the first I'd heard off God's Favorite Customer, and I really enjoyed it. And I sort of thought, oh, maybe he's uh, maybe he's turning a corner here. And then when the album dropped last week, I, I you know, threw it on. And I got to say, I enjoyed it uh, through the first three songs, and then song four came on, Date Night, um, and thought, holy shit, this is like, this is probably the best song that he's written in years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's a really genuinely funny, self-effacing um, uh, you know, sort of uh, recollection of of you know being a scumbag date. Um, uh, I'll buy you ice cream if you give me your card. Um, is is by far my favorite line in that. So um, I, did, you know, I, I I hate myself for liking this, but I shouldn't um, feel so. I mean, it, the, the guy, there is a genuine talent, and it's it's yeah. it, it's irrefutable. But it, I also think that you know the first song I heard was Mr. Tillman, and my my instinct was when is he going to fuck this up? Yeah, um, I, I think that what we've established is that he gets no more goodwill from me. Um, but yeah. like, I'm not bending to accommodate and now he's this earning, guy. But now he's earning it. <laughs> Yeah, but he's capable of it, and if he makes music that I like, I'm a listener. So. Yeah, good, good call. Anyway, you want to take a quick break and come back and talk festivals? Absolutely. All right. Back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, one of the um, inevitabilities of, of the coming of summer is the coming of the festival circuit. And uh, 
Christian, you took yourself to Northside. I will say um, you took yourself to Northside this year, and you survived it a hell of a lot better than you have in the last few years. So uh, give us your yes. rundown. Uh, it is the third anniversary of the worst uh, emotional and physical hangover I have ever had in my entire <laughs> life, which was, um, I think, the first Northside Festival that you also attended and, in fact, our producer, Damien, um, Damien was in town for, uh, from San Francisco, um, which was just seven uninterrupted days of, of self-abuse um, that uh, ended in a very sad... Puddle. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, feeling much better um, this time around. I, I will say, you know, there, I just wanted to, to shout out a couple of highlights of shows I saw. And, you know, Northside put together a really good package again. Um, and I, I have to say, it's, it's one of my favorite festivals um, that comes to town every year, uh, in large part because it sort of has that um, di- sort of uh, devolved, like, uh, it doesn't really have, like, a locus or, or sort of, like, center of power. Um, it, it's it's much more sort of spread throughout the neighborhood and, and you know, is now actually branching out and spreading even further afield out of Williamsburg into Bushwick, where all the uh, young, cool kids live, I hear. And, um, you know, they put together a great uh, a great showcase again. This is and it's all the local uh, promoters, ad hoc, pop gun. You know, uh, everybody sort of uh, has has a piece and Brooklyn Vegan as well. Um, but the Piss Jeans were playing, um, Snail Mail and Liz Fair, obviously uh, friends of the podcast, Active Bird Community um, played with Weaves over at the Knitting Factory. I do um, have to say, uh, just as a quick aside, you I said who's playing, and you said I have to decide between uh, Liz Fair, Snail Mail, and Hockey, and I was like, who the fuck is Hockey? <laughs> <laughs> it does It does seem like you're like American football. Yeah, no, that, that actually makes tennis. sense. Tennis. <laughs> tennis, yes. Um, uh, hoops. Um, all right, that's a good point. So we've... Um, the three, though, I want to talk about uh, are, well, all sort of personal favorites, but Deerhoof, Proto-Martyr, and Flashing. Um, and I'll, I'll start with Flasher just because these guys have really been impressing the hell out of me. I love um, this new album. It's really good. It, it's awesome. Yeah, Constant Image is its name. Um, and, you know, Flasher's player card, I think, ticks a lot of the right DC boxes. Um, they are, uh, they've recorded in Fugazi's Brendan Canty's studio. Uh, they are connected to, like, the sort of rebel rock band Priest that we mentioned earlier. Um, and Taylor Millitz, as we said earlier, uh, who's the guitarist for... Flasher manages Sister Polygon Records, which launched um, Snail Mail from Baltimore and Downtown Boys, uh, who I believe are from Providence. Yes. Um, but bottom line is, like, these are real sort of, they, they tap into that, like, life vein of DIY punks um, in D.C. Uh, and they do so uh, it, to their benefit, I think, um, without actually being attached formally to discord in any way you know it's like they, they have, they're doing their own thing they have their own generation and like it's the obvious comparison that i'm making while saying that i'm not making it but i mean the the bottom line is that like discord isn't going to last forever you have to do it yourself you have to reinvent it let this be the next scene um and you know they they are so diy that in fact they uh they work at a pizza parlor in Bethesda. And actually, just a funny sidebar here, and the only reason I bring that up is because this is the... the Ping Pong. Comet Ping Pong, yeah, which is also the source, I don't know if you remember this, of the insane, uh, insane, like, fake news... um, uh, Pizzagate scandal. Exactly. The the Hillary Clinton is running a, a child labor network out of the basement of this pizza parlor... Well, that's the pizza parlor, and she is in fact not running a child labor uh, circuit out of the basement of this pizza parlor, as far as I know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, um, in any event, although uh, I do think that Flasher were all under 18 when they started, so take that for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, avid avid listeners of of this pod, you guys are all going to know that, like, uh, you've heard me grow increasingly excited about this band as they released their run of singles um, leading up to Constant Image, and that included like Skim Milk, Pressure, and Who's Got Time. Um, but you know, just to set the stage musically, I think Constant Image really does fulfill the promise of those early singles, uh, and it, it just has this sort of 
awesome, like stripped down punk that combines, you know, fast sort of light melodies with like really excellent percussive texture. Um, and you know, at this release show, uh, one of their friends actually, um, and the release show was, was Friday night at, uh, at elsewhere. Um, and it should be noted that they rolled with a crowd of about 25 friends who are up from DC, which was, which was really kind of nice. I love when the home team always comes out for a band. Um, but, uh, you know, they mentioned a sort of comparison to early spoon. I hadn't thought about it. Um, but, but once I did, I, it actually, it kind of makes sense. Telephono era spoon. I think so. And I, I mean, sense to me, there's a, it's the sort of tight, speedy, twisting melodies but like really it is sort of stripped down um you can hear every instrument you know you can hear every note played by all you know um by yeah it's like a segregated type of music uh that you know to break or already right. deconstructed that allows know, for space yeah. the car the car radio era made exactly. a 52 second song kind of thing well, and so, you know, the one thing that's interesting is that, like, it's difficult to sort of carbon date this band, right? Like, it's, they sound, uh, you actually well, made this comment recently about... Yeah, um, I said they sound like... About Eamon Dunes, which is that it sounds early 80s, early 90s, and early 2000s all at once. Um, and I actually think that you could say almost the same thing about these guys. Um, but I also love the fact, and then let me, I'll just very quickly make this personal point that, like, I love that you cannot identify who the front man is and there just isn't one. Um, you know, they have no obvious leader. Uh, you have Taylor Millitz on guitar, Daniel Saperstein on bass, um, who is a, a really great uh, pick-wielding bass player, um, and Emma Baker chiming in to, to you know, with this um, sort of constant, like, clattering quick, uh, you know, drumming. And I, I just, needless to say, like, it, they... It, this is one of my favorite effects in music, which is that they have three vocalists often singing um, completely different lyrics over one another. Countervailing, uh, yeah. Yeah, and this, this is, just, it's, it's awesome because this is what dialogue actually sounds like in the real world, right? It's it, like people speak over each other all the fucking time. Often, I, like I Take can Take that, Aaron two, Sorkin. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a Robert um, Altman thing, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's, I mean, honestly, it's like it's what's going on inside my own head half the time. It's like I can have two thoughts at once, um, you know, and, and this is, it just, it sort of convinces you um, or, or persuades you of like the Adderall-fueled urgency um, with which they may well live their lives. So um, definitely give these guys a spin as soon as you can. You, so you what you're saying is this is the only real democracy in D.C. currently? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I was I was hoping that we could make this political. Yeah. Um, so, but you, you've listened to these guys as much as I have now. I mean, what, what's your take on this? It thing? really was. I mean, that was actually uh, a, a comment that I made about these guys, and uh, rather than Amen Dunes, was that they sounded early '80s, early '90s, and early 2000s at the same time. Which is, you know, it's got elements of. Um, you know, sort of uh, what I, you know, what we referred to as the angry young men. It's got like a little bit of that Joe Jackson quality, a little bit of like a shoegaze quality, and then a little bit of the, the Strokes, uh, Brooklyn, uh, early 2000s quality. Um, so like mix those together and you've got, you know, all my favorite kinds of music basically. So I was really thrilled when I heard these guys and I kept hearing them, you know, because people inevitably talk about... DC bands as being punk, and I think you know, like I've tried to convince you about LA in the late '70s. Punk in this case doesn't mean uh, a strict adherence to a certain type of sound. It means that the ethos ethos is punk, but the the music itself, like this, is very melodic. um, You know, dare I say, poppy, but you know, prickly kind of music, and and it works um, beautifully. I'm I'm really thrilled with this album. I was. You, as you said yourself a couple uh, days ago, you're like, um, I'm really looking forward to this Flasher album. And then when it came out, you said, this is exactly as good as I wanted it to be. Yeah. No, and it, and it feels, it's like every once in a while, you're, you're just touched by an album that you feel like somebody made specifically for your set of tastes. Mm-hmm. And, and they really, they hit that. Um, and, you know, part, I, part of me wonders, like, is it the fact that we probably shared a lot of the same local influences as kids yeah i mean i'm sure that that factors in there somewhere we were hearing the same things it makes sense that the stuff i like is the stuff they make um but uh but i'm really excited about this band and and looking forward to uh hopefully uh, hopefully uh fingers crossed we can work the schedules out um we'll have a treat and get them on the podcast in the next uh in the coming weeks so 
after our 100th episode. So Yeah, our big uh, upcoming uh, 100th episode. But we were yeah. going to we were talking about um, I, and I just well, raised a quick question about um, you know, because you saw them at Northside, the festival circuit in general. I mean, is it, you know, I, I kind of feel like there's I'm feeling like a tiny bit of a wane in the in the in the trend that's hap- you know that's really taken hold over the past 15 years, which is destination festivals. Um, and uh, you know, we had, obviously there was the fire festival, which um, you know. Well, no, there was not actually. <laughs> yeah, there was no fire festival. But then recently there was the I believe it was called the FYF festival in Los, in downtown Los Angeles that you know sort of had this. Um, you know, uh, mission to be all things to all people, and didn't and didn't work out at all. It was you know going to be like Janet Jackson and punk bands, and you know it was going to be like all over the map, and um, it didn't uh, it didn't um, work out. So anyway, sorry, I I kind of interjected um, this before well, you got to your the the rest of your Northside festival, but um, you know we'll uh, I, you know no, I pick do, up whichever you like. Yeah, no, um, I. I, I think um, you're, you're, it's an interesting uh, business, right? I mean, it's a very, very boomer bust um, uh, market. I mean, you you either hit it and you make your money back tenfold, or um, you don't last two years uh, because your backers just aren't interested in the in you know in hemorrhaging cash. Um, I, there are companies that have been, you know, sort of more successful. The Bonnaroo's and the Lollapaloozas obviously are, you know, are massive organizations now. It, it is. It's also interesting that you are seeing increasingly, um, like the the sort of tectonic shifts that are taking place behind the scene are that, uh, you know, the the big um, the big promoters and the big venue runners um, are uh, are sort of Live Nation basically, you know, is buying up um, the 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 rights and, and the production companies that are putting on a lot of these festivals. So they're really like absorbing yet another dimension of the music industry um, and focusing on live. And, and a big part of that is, you know, is, 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 has been widely, um, uh, widely written about money these days really is coming more from um, live performance than it is in many cases from, uh, from like streaming income and stuff like that. So um, there's definitely a, a sort of a, Profitability driver here, and cassette um, sales. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, flexi disc, um, but uh, you know, I, I think that we have probably crossed peak. Fe- I mean, peak sort of festival, if you will. Like, I, I think that that's a, um, a. I think there's fest fatigue. Yeah, I mean, well, but this is every trend. You know, it's like it, things become enormously popular. Everybody in every town thinks that they can throw a massive music festival that will attract people because, well, hell, they did it in Manchester, Tennessee. And it's like, yeah, kind of, except that if you do it an hour from New York, you're screwed. Like, you're not going to attract the same audience that um, – and as I'm saying that, I think I can think of three three music festivals that are on this summer that are within about an hour of New York. Um, you know, but ultimately, like, you can you – can, oversaturate a market um, with with festivals and I think that what we're seeing now is just like the inevitable pruning of this tree of, of um, you know of, medi- of mediocre festivals uh, you will still have the big ones the panoramas the um, the gov balls um, but ultimately uh, you know it's, it's going to it's going to sort of shake out that that you know the Boston Collings and, and things of that size, the really dominant ones in big markets are, are still, you know, will survive and some of the smaller ones will, will fade. I think you just um, la- actually launched a, a great idea, which is Brother, Brother, Brother presents Mediocrity Fest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that is something that we would have trouble getting people to sign up for. Um, <laughs> but actually, you know what? No, I don't. <laughs> um, these things are, uh, these things are so oversubscribed. Um, but, Back to a festival that was better than mediocre, um, Northside Festival. Uh, I, I just wanted to put in a few words finally about like Deerhoof and, and Proto Martyr, um, because you know these are sort of long time favorites of mine. Um, Deerhoof is like it just it is constant dissonance and like very fleeting occasional resolution, um, and I sort of liken it to you know throwing power pop in a blender. Uh, chopping it loosely on the pulse mode and then pulling out like 
little bits and pieces one at a time instead of like figuring out how to arrange them as a song. Um, it is it, just the magic, like, and and it is sort of magical in a way. Is it's the, spoon the, you inverted? Know, it's, it's yeah. It's it's this incredible energy. Um, and, and the control that they just barely hold over chaos. And, and I think, like, I was sort of standing there just absorbing this, and I have, you know, it's this, I've been seeing this band since I was, like, 14, um, over and over and over again, uh, just because I, I still can't quite figure it out. And, and it's just, it's, like, just puzzling enough for me to keep wanting to go back for more. It's enjoyable, um, too, though. I mean, it, it's yeah. not just challenging. It's not even challenging. It's just... It's, it's cool, yeah, yeah it, and it sound, and they've got really great sort of funky driving rhythms sometimes. But I, I think that there's like a really age old concept in art that sort of that that they're sort of toying around with here. And like, it, I mean, it, just the way that like gardens were intended to show like human dominion over nature. Like this is this feels like some kind of attempt to like wrestle explosive like dissonance and lack of melody to the ground and like and like pin it into some kind of song it's like they're 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 battling with every song that they play and and that's just a really cool effect like it it, it just constantly reminds me like how hard music is to make um and they do a phenomenal job of it so i if you, you've seen them a bunch right very yeah i've seen them very frequently and they're they're one of those bands and i i will think of a name for this category but they're one of those bands who is uh Always, I mean, just because of longevity and and how hard they work, are always you know one of those. Oh, we could go see Deerhoof. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they seem yeah, to be exactly. in every city I'm ever in oh, all the time. It's, it's Tuesday. Want to go see Deerhoof? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, no, I think it, we call it the blonde redhead effect. Yep, they were in there as well. The OCs are yep. a good example of that. It's like there's certain. Band, I mean, Tyler uh, Ty Siegel. Um, it's like just. Wow, you seem to be here twice, three times a year. When it was um, when I was a boy, it was Sonic Youth. When I was a boy, it was Sonic Youth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so there you go. Yeah, no, it, it really is. It's like the consistency, the performance, like the extent to which they care is very cool. Um, and then, you know, a, a few words about Proto Martyr, uh, the least sexually appealing band in the United States. Um, I, I think uh, these guys, like, it's it's just it's it, they're. I love this sound. Like, it's, like, total deadpan delivery. Um, and it, there's just no, <laughs> like, there's so little humor that it's funny again to me somehow. And oh, I'm not sure if that's yeah. intended, but, like, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's not that far off from, like, a wire or a clash in terms of its dry delivery. But there's just so much more cynicism in it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's too depressed to take on the world. Um, and I think it's summed up when... Uh, Somebody yelled from the audience, what are you drinking? And he just said, water. <laughs> that was it. That was the extent of the stage banner for the evening. Um, yeah. But that's pretty much what you're going to get from these guys. Uh, I, did, I, am I fair to make the comparison uh, between these guys and, and uh, preoccupations? Or is that, uh, is that am I far off? I th- no, I think that these guys are way more garage rock. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Detroit, to me, like, the Detroit um, sort of sound, like, shines through their music much more than, like, the studied sort of mathematical, um, like, compositions that, that are, like, the, the preoccupation stuff, like, those are, those they're are, They're like, very precise. Yeah. They're, like, I mean, they're, they're almost classical compositions. Like, mm-hmm. you, if you take any stretch of, like, 12 seconds of one of those songs, you can't, like, replicate that anywhere else in the song. You know? It's, like, it's crazy. Um, and, and, but these guys also, this is almost, like, like, punk garage poetry. Hmm. It's, like, Patti Smith is, like, the closest thing I can think of. Hold Steady, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. But Hold Steady is, like... Melody. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, yeah. anyway, and the last thing, very very quickly, uh, just a just a teaser here. Um, you know, I'll drop a fuller review in a couple of weeks after the hundredth. But um, I am currently between Ted Leo Hearts of Oak shows at Music Hall of Williamsburg, um, the fifteenth year anniversary here. Um, and uh, remind me, Wyndham, what is it that you always say about effort in hockey? Um, oh, that um, it's fun to watch the Stanley Cup playoffs because nobody told these guys that it didn't matter. 
Yeah, so that is actually Ted Leo. Um, he is like he is like the musical equivalent of hockey. Uh, he, like no one ever told him that he can phone it in some nights. Um, yeah. You know, he sold the house out. Whatever. It's like this guy puts in ten thousand percent every fucking night. And I just want to say, like, you know, to every musician interested in making music, like you can take a lesson from his book. You know, he respects his audience so much that he just doesn't believe in coming out and giving anything less than everything he's got. And I, it, honestly, like, it's kind of touching. Um, and so, as always, I'll get a few photos up on Instagram uh, at CWC Lewis um, or follow us at the uh, podcast Instagram at the Brother Pod. Um, and I will also get my act together and meet this ever elusive self imposed deadline uh, and post some links to written reviews of these shows on our website, thebrotherpod.com, um, and on our shiny new app. So, uh, all of you can download that app uh, on your phone um, at the app store for itunes or android um and uh seriously you can leave interactive voice recordings with us that we'll play on the air even if they're really abusive especially if they're really abusive um so uh so definitely come out and, and so tell yeah, us what Ted you think Leo, give us a really abusive call um <laughs> yeah it, it, it and i and don't forget too that you know i mean this is kind of a uh uh, if I may allow myself to be sentimental for a moment, Ted Leo's Hearts of Oak uh, was the sort of the, I would say if there's one album that launched this podcast, ultimately it's Ted Leo's Hearts of Oak, the first, one of the first albums first I ever sent. First you sent me. Yeah, yeah. no, it's true. Um, which is still why I know the thing front to back and, you know, back to front. It's uh, it's an incredible album. So it was really it was really nice to be able to, to share that with a few friends last night. And frankly, I didn't think I was going to go to both nights, but I decided, like, within 10 minutes of the he show last night that I'm doing this first yeah, song. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's 100%. So, um, anyway. anyway, let's uh, take a quick break and come back. And uh, on a more somber note, um, remember Anthony Bourdain. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Tonight it's a Brother, Brother podcast. It is Christian and I, and this is our 99th episode, I believe. So uh, congratulations on that. And our 100th I'll be uh, announcing shortly before we release the 100th, but it is uh, enough. I'm excited enough about it uh, to give it some buildup. And let's just say that it's uh, a band that uh, it, it focuses on something that's very near and dear to our hearts. So sadly, uh, this week we lost um, somebody who we all were very fond of, and that's Anthony Bourdain. Um, it was, uh, to me, I mean, I haven't been more shocked by a piece of news in a long time, but I was also shocked um, in a positive way at the number of people who, you know, at the, at the tenor of the um, reception this news got, because frankly, I thought Bourdain was one of those guys that could... Uh, you know, that some people who are too cool for school would think was too cool for school. And as it turned out, most people were pretty sincerely yeah, fond of this guy. It was really, I, I yeah, no, it, it, it shook me up a little bit. And I, I think um, I, I was really sort of moved by, by the, the breadth of tributes. And, like, I didn't, I know that, you know, we had both sort of connected with this show over the years, but, like, I was unaware of, of how... Um, uh, I mean, how extensively this guy um, filled every living room, it seems like. And, you know, everybody who he connected with professionally or personally seemed to, seemed to have... Um, be devastated. Yeah, and, and sort of understandably. I mean, I, I think there are a couple aspects of it. One is that, you know, knowing his history um, and knowing sort of the, 
the fact that he, you know, escaped a pretty turbulent 20s, um, lived out a pretty, I think, you know, moderately successful 30s as a chef, and then really hit his stride when he wrote a a New Yorker piece um, and, you know, was a guy who sort of had reinvented himself and finally found his calling later in life. And, like, all of those things are kind of inspiring um, and uh, not kind of inspiring. They are inspiring. And, and, you know, I think uh, the fact that his life had become... Um, what it seemed as though he he wanted it to be. So it's it's um, a reminder that you know that it's difficult to shake the uh, shadow of, uh, of of mental health stuff and depression in a lot of cases. But um, he will definitely be uh, sorely missed on this podcast. And and you know I've sort of been very slowly uh, dipping back into some of his work. And I think you know the part that almost like. Get, gets underappreciated um, when you just because of his show has been out for so long is like that guy was a fucking funny writer. Yeah, I um, um, I didn't realize until I read his obituary that his mother was a um, New York Times editor. I did um, not I was, either. I thought that was pretty funny. Also named Gladys, like our grandmother. Um, yep. But I I um, you know the thing was about Bourdain that you know that there's sort of a t- side, you know what I always call the side Twombly corollary, which is you know. Um, you know, anybody could do that. And Cy Twombly famously would remark, yes, but they didn't. Um, And there was a bit of that in Bourdain's work where I figured, you know, a lot of people I knew that are writers and love to travel and love to do these things sort of uh, thought they might be able to replicate what Bourdain did. But to be honest with you, almost all of them really liked what he did and didn't have that attitude of like anybody could play this or anybody could do this. Um, there was no, a it's true. It's like you're deference. Just, people are just glad that he was doing it. Yeah, and enjoying it. And it, it just sucks. It's, uh, you know, somebody who, um, you know, I don't think I'm alone in thinking I thought that guy had an ideal life. And um, yeah. really sad, to, really just sad news. So um, anyway, let's take a quick break and, uh, or, and uh, come back and, and close us down. Welcome back to the pod, and right now we're about to add songs to the 46,870 top 10 songs of all time. Um, since we've been talking about this uh, very exciting new act, Flasher, from D.C., um, and uh, I, I'm going to put on my favorite song off this new album, Constant Image, Who's Got Time? That's awesome. I am going to uh, put on what I reluctantly have realized is like one of the great summer anthems of all time, and that's Bad Companies Feel Like Making Love. Um, Good choice. Yeah, just it's. I heard it a bunch of times over the week. It seems to be creeping into my consciousness everywhere, but it's in Patrick Melrose. It was. I heard it about a couple times over the weekend. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. This is a great song, and I, uh, I resist a, it's, no more. <laughs> it's. I, it's always been one that like. I will put on every jukebox that I put money into, but only if I get 10 songs or more so that people aren't like, can't be a hundred percent sure that it was me. <laughs> it's like, but I just, I want to fucking hear it in a bar. It's like great to sing along to. Um, yeah. So excellent choice. I'm glad we'll be listening to that, uh, for the cookouts this summer. And, um, this was great. I'm yeah. so excited about our hundredth episode. Me too. Uh, we'll see I you soon. Surprise you. Thanks so much. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.